our role is to recognize that this output is a compilation of things that have already been done, and then try to steer it in a way that is more novel, while still being familiar enough to satisfy audiences. Content Marketing World is the premier conference for content marketers, combining a wide range of topics that help marketers use content to drive results. Look left, Skylar Cohen and David Sprague spend two days at this year's event in Washington, D.C. It goes without saying that generative AI was a recurring theme, but as you'll hear, it wasn't the only emerging topic. Washington, D.C. is the place to be if you are a content marketer. certainly the case. Thousands of folks have descended upon the nation's capital. And uh, that's what we're talking about on this edition of the Look Left at Marketing podcast. I'm David Sprague. Skylar Cohen joins me as well. And uh, we represent the contingency of uh, Look Lefters who attended the conference. And two days of lots of listening, lots of learning can be a little overwhelming at times when you go from session to session. And certainly, Skylar, you and I experienced a lot of walking. We also learned that sometimes you have to leave a session early just to get a good Um, place to sit at the next one, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, one thing I did appreciate is that maybe the first five or six rows of every conference room had tables where you could type on a computer, but all the chairs behind that didn't have a desk. But the only way that you could get there early enough to get one of those desk chairs is if you left the previous session early, which looks very rude, of course, but like if you want to be front and center for the next session in your preferred room, you kind of have to either leave early or accept there's a good risk that you're not going to get that. And I didn't love that. Well, you know, it's funny that one of the session, there was one session that you and I attended together and I'm reminded of, there was a woman sitting in front of us who said that she had very strong feelings about people who took one of the table seats who did not have a laptop as she put it, you can just write notes from anywhere. And then I looked over and the woman sitting next to her <laughs> did not have a laptop and was taking paper notes. And so I backed out to avoid any awkward fighting. I'm I'm away from home right now and have three kids. And so, yeah, I've got a few days vacation from awkward fighting. Yeah, I have a dog waiting for me at home. I couldn't afford to um, <laughs> have my life destroyed by instigating the content marketing equivalent of a, of a bar fight. Very wise, very wise. Yes. So it goes without saying that artificial intelligence, AI, gener- generative AI was a hot topic. It's, you know, the biggest topic really, I think in business and tech right now. And Certainly for what we do for a living, there's a lot to talk about. And one of the most interesting quotes I thought from the uh, from any of the sessions came in the opening keynote. Benny Johnson of the American Marketing Association was referencing the theme of the conference, which is evolve. Right. And he kind of took us back to biology class and pointing out There's no reason for a species to change if conditions are stable. And I think we're all in agreement that conditions in content marketing are not very stable in terms of how AI has come in and made us rethink every single thing we're doing. And 
in the spirit of evolution, Robert Rose of the Content Marketing Institute in the same uh, opening key, keynote session, I thought had a really insightful point in saying that marketing is content marketing. It's not a kind of marketing. All marketing now must incorporate content in some form. The question, of course, for a lot of us over the last 11 months is how we make that content. I thought it was interesting that um, evolve can really have two connotations where it's like, like if a species has to evolve, you can either say just like, this is your chance to grow or like if you don't evolve, you'll die. And I, I feel like the conference leaned pretty heavily towards the more positive framing where there was just, it was very much focused on, okay, it does, there are a lot of changes and they can be difficult, but here are a lot of new opportunities and here are ways that we can adapt. It definitely did seem like they were using evolve in a more positive sense. And so they were, well, that the framing of the whole like static environment could open itself up to a discussion of extinction they frame it more as like an opportunity to become something new and better. I think we have to though, right? That's where we are. We have to figure out how to, for lack of a better term, keep our species alive, right? I mean, because I think there was a lot of hand wringing when chat GPT hit the market. And a lot of us who write for a living were thinking, gosh, where does this leave us occupationally? And I think if nothing else is, conference really pointed out there is opportunity there, but it is incumbent upon you to do the learning, to do the A-B testing, to figure it all out. And one of the things, though, I was thinking about with Evolve being the, the theme is it's a bit of a misnomer because evolution takes a really, really long time. And chat GPT did not wait uh, centuries to make this change. It really kind of forced itself upon us. I mean, evolution makes something a better fit for its environment. And so whether it takes place over millions of years or over the course of 11 months, it's when, when evolution happens, people thrive in the setting that they've evolved in. And so it's, um, yeah, again, I, I did think it was definitely a more, well, there is necessity to it. It was a more uplifting take. So let's dig into some of what we learned. Let, let's start. What was your favorite session? Honestly, my favorite session was one that was focused on, it was actually a kind of a mock funeral for um, outdated SEO practices. And I know that sounds a little bit absurd, but basically it was going through all these concepts that we consider to be often very fundamental to the practice of doing content marketing. Like the funnel was the first one, keyword cannibalization, and then exposing why these things no longer matter quite as much as they used to. And there definitely were some controversial statements there. There were some things that do kind of fly in the face of conventional wisdom, but I really appreciated having a talk that just felt very, felt very new. There was a lot of information to grapple with, and I'm really looking forward to kind of going back over that particular presentation and thinking about how to share that knowledge with the rest of the local life team. How about you in terms of your favorite? There was one that I saw that did not have sort of the high production value that a lot of a lot of these presentations had, but it was so packed full of information that I walked away going, wow, I really learned a lot. And it the name of it was Nine Ways 
to use AI and content. Very straightforward, right? But in 40 minutes, these two presenters were able to logically break down actionable ways that folks who do content can use AI. And personally, I'm a big fan of how-to presentations, right? You know, a lot of sessions cover theory. They'll touch upon stuff that seems kind of obvious. And this session went into detail about how specifically how they are using AI in exercises ranging from copywriting to brainstorming, researching, editing, creating AI-generated images, even audio, which for like a podcast or if you're doing video uh, is really helpful, and even SEO. And what stood out to me and what I found most helpful was that they also shared the specific tools that they used and even said, we use the free version for this, we use the subscription version for this. And with each of the nine ways they're using AI, they gave specific examples, they ran down how they did what they did, they showed sort of the challenge, how they overcame it, and the end result. So to me, that is a great session. And how they got it all into 40 minutes is beyond me. There wasn't a whole lot of wind up. They got right into it. And I really appreciated that because I felt I, w I went away with some things that I can start using immediately. And to me, that is the most valuable session. And so that one was really good. There was another one that I liked too, that was, as I was thinking about it, a lot of these presentations are digital audio. This one was vinyl, right? It was very old school. How human editors can keep audiences reading. And I know that may sound outdated at a conference where we're talking about AI, but in this presentation, it was a lot about how an editor is actually, and I, lo I love this term, an editor should be a questioner in chief. Basically, you know, you have to ask a number of questions when editing someone else's content. Will the audience consume this content? Seems simple enough, but when you're a writer, you just assume it's it's great because you wrote it, you're connected to it, you're a creative, Skylar. You, you understand this as well as I do. You also have to ask, does it deliver for the brand? Of course, if it reads well, that's great, but are you going to be able to convert whatever goal you have, depending on where this piece of content is in the funnel. Does it make sense? Again, it seems obvious, but sometimes when you are so deep into a piece of content, there are parts of it that make sense to you in your brain, but you haven't actually explained it. And it also has to make sense from a standpoint of, does it make sense for your organization to tell it and to tell it the way that you're telling it? And finally, is it accurate, which does actually play into a lot of the AI stuff, given the inaccuracies that we mm -hmm. can see in AI generated content. And so, you know, this session reminded me a lot of some of my favorite shows like uh, The Wire, Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad, and that they had no qualms about killing off a popular character if it made the story better. And I think that's sort of the attitude you have to have as an editor is to kind of detach yourself from whatever personal connection the writer might have with the content and do what's best uh, for 
you know, for, for the brand. And so I, I found that really, really insightful and, and a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I wrote an article recently about editing AI, so I definitely don't, it sounds like there was a lot of depth there, but I, I do have at least some feelings on the topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's, let's dive into, uh, another category. You know, what, what are some of the areas of learning that you yourself, you see yourself bringing back from the conference and applying it to the work you do every day? I think the one thing that was pretty fundamental to the conference was the idea of framing AI as a collaborator rather than a rival or something that's going to take your livelihood away. And I mean, we've been experimenting with AI for a while at LookLeft, so it's not like this was a shocker or anything, but it was really nice to just see a lot of examples of, okay, here's how you can use AI to help you come up with new ideas. Here's how you can use it to become a more productive person while maintaining your originality and creativity. So I think that I'm looking forward to kind of continuing to experiment with AI, but reframing that relationship as less like, this is your new coworker, you can't avoid them, and more like, this is this is someone who wants to help you. And it's, I think at the end of the day, either way, the content will hopefully be good, but it will be considerably more enjoyable to reframe my relationship with AI rather than viewing it as like a something that's forced so one of the keynotes on on day two, I thought framed it really well in, in that you have to determine as you, what role AI is going to play. Is it going to be a tool? Is it going to be a co-pilot? Or is it going to be a muse? If it's a tool, there's little human input, a lot of automation. Humans have to do very little work. That requires a lot of training of your, uh, of, of your AI algorithm, though. Copilot would be there's some human input, there's a medium amount of automation, but it does make your work a little easier and and smarter, right? And then mm -hmm. using it as a muse, as sort of a, a, a an inspiration and where you're still doing a lot of work, but in terms of ideation, you're leaning a little bit more on, on AI to help you come up with ideas. I thought that was yeah. a really interesting way to frame it. Like you have to know what you want out of AI before you start digging into it. Yeah, I'm thinking of the very final keynote of the day. She defined this idea of thinking as kind of a process where we are being creative as people. We are putting our ideas on the page. We really are intellectually invested. And then she separately defined this idea of thunking, which she said is almost like dragging a brick down a flight of stairs, where it's like the very kind of quotidian, boring, like data input, like the nitty gritty of getting something done that is not engaging and does not capture your attention. And so she was like, you know, I, I really feel like AI will allow you to do more thinking while handling a lot of the thunking so that you can improve productivity. And unless you choose to do so, would need to engage less with these processes that are not intellectually rewarding for you. And you started to hit on something that we referenced earlier, which is uh, one of the one of the things we kept hearing over and over is AI needs humans. And again, that's self-preservation, right? We yeah. want to <laughs> still be in the mix because we like what we do. But I do think there's a lot of truth to that. And uh, Anne Handley, 
who's the uh, chief content officer at Marketing Profs, and she's kind of a, a celebrity at content marketing world, said something that just melted my heart. She was asked by one of the attendees, what keeps you up at night? And she said, disrespect of writers and creators. And she said that you should not be using AI if you're not a good writer and don't respect the craft, which again, you're, she's very much preaching to the choir here, but I, I, I agree with that so much because AI is not at a place where it can be perfect, where its tone of voice is going to be perfect, that it understands your brand's messaging and your overarching goals. It will someday, most likely, and we'll have to figure out where we fit into that ecosystem. But right now, that really is where we are. And I think that finding ways for humans to add their specific and unique touch to things is what's going to differentiate content that you're using AI for. Absolutely. I mean, I think that one thing that was interesting was kind of humans are the problem, but also the solution. Elizabeth Banks' keynote speech was pretty focused, at least at the beginning, on how AI tends to inherit a lot of the biases that humans put into writing on the internet. So a lot of content that it might put out will be predisposed towards, for example, if it's asked to put out a film script, it'll probably default to having some violence. And our role is to recognize that like this output is a compilation of things that have already been done, and then try to steer it in a way that is more novel works through those biases to create something that is original while still being familiar enough to satisfy audiences. AI is great, but it's also it also needs someone to rehabilitate it in a sense. And, and to that point, Skylar, the again going back to the session that you and I saw together, which was specifically about human humanizing AI, one of the points that I thought was interesting there was that the presenter said that for too long that there's been a disconnect between the creative side and the SEO side, right? And, and that's something we talk a lot about at Look Left, and I think we do very well, which is combining the art and algebra of, of writing content. Yeah. But what he pointed out was because of that disconnect, it's easy for folks to use AI and skip over certain important elements of the process that you may not necessarily th think are important or need to happen. Like if you're a creative, the thought is, well, I don't want SEO coming in and, and messing up my beautiful masterpiece. Uh, so We'll throw it into generative AI. It'll write something and we'll just go to publish because it's it's fine. But you're skipping over, like you said, SEO review. You're skipping over editing. You may be skipping over fact checking, that sort of thing. And yeah. the idea is that even when an applicable shortcut like AI exists, you still have to apply human smarts at every step of the way. Even if there's an AI tool for each of those steps, you still have to incorporate your experience uh, to differentiate it, to make it the best it, it can possibly be. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that that presentation also had a great point about the way that SEO con the, the idea of SEO content 
is sometimes used to marginalize content that is seen as like, oh, this is low value. This is just designed to pick up on searches. Whereas the proposal was instead that that kind of SEO mindset should be integrated from the very beginning of the process. And I think that definitely holds true with AI as well, where you really need any kind of human input that you might imagine like retroactively applying to an AI piece after it's been created should there should be a lot of thought put into the prompts or however you start that process so that rather than making all the SEO stuff an afterthought, you're able to make it feel as organic and deliver as much value to the reader as possible. Another interesting point of view that came up over and over again and is in line with what we're talking about is the idea that content needs to be more personal and AI can help, but again, you have to have the human element to make it more personal. And, and one of the interesting personalization stories that that I heard was, again, going back to the opening keynote, Beverly Jackson of Zillow really encapsulated this concept and taking us through the journey at Zillow from them being just a site where people would search for houses to sort of transforming itself into a full service real estate platform. And to do that, they really had to consider a wide range of personas and understanding what their motivations and needs were. And the one that came to mind that she mentioned was the idea of of having uh, tabs and functions that allow pet owners to, you know, find some place to live that accepts pets, has dog parks nearby, that sort of thing was good for walking dogs. And it's that sort of personalization and thinking that, you know, readers are wanting, users are wanting, everybody wants to think that whatever's been written or whatever's been produced is specifically for them. It's not an easy thing to do, but uh, with the power of AI, you can start to get a little more granular if you know how to prompt it. Absolutely. And, um, one thing that was one talk that I found really interesting from this regard was um, I think his name was Ron Zor- Zorwin. He was um, associated with a major foundation that helps people with MS, and so he talked about two examples of personalization. Neither of them was really related to AI, but I thought they were were both pretty thought provoking. Um, one of them was he was going into detail about a customer persona, someone a, a real life person actually, who had been recently diagnosed with MS and was very involved in fundraising, gave a decent amount of money each, like gave $1,000 each year to the foundation, wanted to stay in the loop. But they found that um, because there was no personalization, she was being basically spammed with dozens of redundant emails telling her to sign up for things that she was spending hours a day on already. And they said like, she will stay because she is definitely very devoted to the cause but someone who is new to the organization who is, or who is less invested is not going to be patient enough to wade through all these emails. They clearly are, were, not, did not, were not personalized and didn't take into account all the things that person was already doing. And then the other really interesting personalization aspect is um, they're planning to launch an app or like an, a news-based app that will... Um, have about 5,000 articles, but because there's such a diversity in the range of potential challenges that people with MS may experience, 
their their focus on personalization here was as much not just content based, but like how do we make this app as accessible to many pe- people as possible? How do we make this app accommodating? And so, um, I think personalization in that case is more than just something to improve conversion rates. It's something that can actively make a space more more welcoming and more accommodating. But I, there was a really interesting point in a presentation from um, Rebecca Dolan and Katie Pockington from Opal and SAP Concur talking about there were just the, it was like B two B true crime, like a number of mistakes people can make. And one thing they said is, if there is a current event, you need to have a meaningful perspective on it. You if you just release an article that really has no point or is so uncertain in stance that it really just adds nothing that's going to end up damaging your brand. So if there is a, if there is a way that you want to join a conversation or support a group like a marginalized group, you need to have a clear vision for what you're doing and a reason to do it. If you're, if like, if you just tell a marketing team, Hey, we have to put something out today for this. It's not going to resonate and it's not going to give the impression that you're doing this for the right reasons, which is for inclusivity and the fact that it's just, it's the right thing to do just because it maybe feels like you're supposed to do something. You still need to plan for it and make sure that you are properly representing your brand. Because the sheer act of doing something is not inherently justifiable. Skylar, before we part, uh, in, any final thoughts or words of wisdom? You know, one thing that I was surprised by, but kind of pleasantly, was that a number of the presentations actually contradicted each other a little bit. There was one presentation I went to that said that authority score barely mattered. I spoke to other people who said that authority score had actually been heavily emphasized in some of the sessions. And I don't see that as a bad thing or an upsetting thing. It just shows that this is a very diverse field with a diversity of opinions. And there's no one right way to do things. There are certainly best practices, but it's up to every individual to really connect the dots in our own way, figure out based on my experiences, this is what I want to prioritize. This is what I think is most important. And so that gives me hope for the future of discourse, because as long as there are varying opinions, there will always be interesting conversations and hopefully more content marketing worlds in which those conversations can take place. All right. Well, it was great uh, connecting with you, Skylar. Of course, as folks may know, we're a completely remote company. We're spread all over the country. And so it was great to get some face-to-face time with you uh, that didn't involve us being over Zoom. So it was a great couple of days and looking forward to doing it again. It's a pleasure talking with you, David. Thanks for listening to the Look Left at Marketing podcast. Subscribe to our series of conversations about the latest marketing trends at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Till next time, be well.